speaking with us this morning, right, is uh, Mr. Donald Adams, and he is coming to us from Grand Island EV Free Church. You can give him a round of applause. Let that go. I'm going to let him introduce himself a little bit this morning as well. Welcome, Mr. Donald Adams. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for an applause for whatever reason. I don't know why yet. Now, I've got, I'll do a quick flyover of who I am first. Don't worry, my message is pretty short. But who am I? I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, grew up in the church. I knew all the head knowledge about God. I just kind of told myself as a young, dumb kid, that whole Christian life and trajectory is boring. I'm going to have fun first. I'm going to check back on this, get saved later. Went to a Dare to Share conference in eighth grade. That's the same year I started attending Lincoln Christian, so I went all through high school to Christian school as well. They did a letter from hell, and it scared the hell out of me. That's when I realized the game I was playing by not putting my faith and trust in Jesus. So I got saved in eighth grade, went through high school at Lincoln Christian, had a music scholarship coming out of that, and my family said, don't you dare touch that. You'll waste your life in music and definitely in ministry. So following the sage wisdom of my family, I went to a Bible school and got a music degree. And I did that at Moody Bible and graduated fourth to last in my grade at Lincoln Christian. I was crushing it. You could see my motivation. Went to Moody Bible then a few years later. I think I rocked a solid 2.9 out of there. So if you need study tips, ask me. And then partly of today, I'm actually recording this because I'm still in school. 34 years old. Hey, there's lots of people in their 30s going to school, but they're called doctors. But I finished my rest of my school this semester. I'm in a preaching class right now, so hence the video, and that's what puts me before you. I am at Grand Island E Free as the pastor of music there. I've been in this area for about five years. I was a guitar major, classical guitar major at a Bible school, so I was pursuing fame and wealth, obviously. Everyone, all that high demand of classical guitar players. It is early. It's the 8 a.m. chapel, isn't it? All right. Well, good morning again. I feel like I need to recap all that. I'm not going to. Uh, Xander, where are you at? I did, I know. Uh, if you guys know Xander Merchant, he hates things like this, but I love picking on this because I love Can we clap for him? You clap for me. We clap for Xander. All right. My man. I need to come right over here. So first nugget, we're in Mark chapter 10, if you haven't got there already, starting in verse 13. Here's the big thing I'm drilling home today. True discipleship is radical trust in Jesus. So here's my opening illustration. Here's Xander here. He's taller than me already, but that's not hard to beat. Now, if you're standing right there and I'm leaning on you like this, you didn't even tie your shoes today? Good morning, Xander. All right, how much trust am I putting on, on Xander right now? Like right now, you try and duck out from under me. Do it real quick. Quick, dive to the left. I'm fine. All right, come here. I'm not putting a lot of trust in him yet. Now, now, you start a little farther. I'll leave my feet right here. Okay. I trust this guy a little bit. Okay, I got some trust in you. Dive out of the way, quick. I'm still fine. Okay. All right, here we go. This worked good in my head. Let's hope it works here, too. All right. Okay, now dive out of the way. <sighs> all right. That, that all in... That's trusting. That's full trust and belief right there. Thank you, Xander. That's all I needed. Thank you, buddy. You can go. Let's clap for him again because I know how much he loves doing stuff like that. All right. Mark 10, starting in verse 13, we're going to read through 31. This is the word of the Lord. People were bringing 
little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, though, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. As he was setting out on a journey, a ran, ran up, knelt down before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. And again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. And truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for it is perfect. It is without error. So open our eyes and our hearts this morning that may we, we may hear, and we may understand, and we may obey what our God has to tell us. So bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Back. Verses 13 to 16. We see the first step of this. We see this childlike trust. So we assume it's the parents that are bringing their children to Jesus, and the disciples are running block. Verse 14 is actually one of the few times we see Jesus angry, and the word indignant here means strong anger. Jesus wasn't having none of this. It's like when your dad is mad, calls the whole name, right? I imagine Jesus like being like, Peter, head full of rocks. What in the world do you think you're doing? So say it out loud. The disciples are stopping people from coming to Jesus. So what in the world was going through their minds? Hey, meddling kids, Jesus is way too busy, too important to stop and talk to you. We are on a very important mission. We're going to Jerusalem to kick Rome out and establish, our, establish Jesus' kingdom. So already, I hope you could take great encouragement from these verses. Jesus is never too busy to hear from and care for his children. So for us, stay in the word, pray often, and know that Jesus hears and Jesus cares. And just always remember, complaining about God is a sin. 
complaining to God is assault. All right, look at verse 15. What does it mean that you must be like a little child to enter the kingdom? Are we talking Willy Wonka, three-foot doors? No. Children know their dependence. They have no resume. There's no merit they bring thinking they have something to barter or sell or impress God with. See, a child accepts a gift as just that. It's a gift. They don't struggle accepting things from their parents without guilt or a need to earn for it. See, the children ran to Jesus just wanting Jesus. Do you, do I run to Jesus just wanting him? Or too often are we looking for Jesus for something he can then give us? So first we see the childlike trust. Next portion we see misplaced trust up in verse 17. So in verse 17, it mentions the journey these guys were on. We see Jesus' path towards Jerusalem, and he knows full well what's awaiting him there. So out of nowhere, this man approaches Jesus. We know him as the rich young ruler, yet, as we just read, Mark only describes him as wealthy in verse 22. So this is where all the Gospels support one another. See, Matthew says he was young. Luke says he was a ruler. Hence, we know him as the rich young ruler. Now, the application writes itself in this scenario. You cannot be a servant when you love your stuff more than people. So Mark, perhaps the most descriptive of the gospel writers, gives us a glimpse into this man's fear and angst. You see, it says he ran and knelt down. This man was looking to Jesus for peace of mind, which is a good start so far. He even asks a good question, one I hope we all would ask Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, an answer you would not expect from Jesus, and one that has brought a ton of debate. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Is Jesus here denying his own deity? Absolutely not. Jesus is saying that, man, you, you don't get to decide what's good. In fact, this man does not even know what good really is. Professor William Hendrickson said this about this passage. The master knew very well that if this inquirer was going to be saved, he must be confronted with the absolute standard of goodness, namely the perfect law enacted by the perfect one, God. You see, this young man did not fully know who he, who he was kneeling before. If he did, he certainly would have responded different to Jesus' advice, which again we'll see in a minute. So Jesus knew all this, and Jesus spoke accordingly. So the reality is God is the ultimate judge. We, you and me, we do not get to declare what we think is good or bad. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's authority. So therefore, we change for it. It does not change for us. So... I believe this deserves a little bit of a rabbit trail because we see this not only in society right now, but even inside the church. People are attempting to change, to cut, to ignore, to even condemn the Bible rather than submit to it. See, the Bible is clear. Even marriage, it's between one man, it's between one woman. Even something like sex is a good thing, but only inside of marriage. It's like a fire. Fire is awesome in the fireplace. It's really bad in the living room. So keep God's gifts within God's boundaries if you want to see God's blessing. All right, back to our story. 
So Jesus answers his question with basically a summary of the last half of the Ten, ten Commandments. So he lists them out. Don't kill, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents. Sidebar, why do you think he only mentions the last half? Even then, do not defraud is not in Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. It's actually Leviticus 19.13. Here's one thought. If you aren't living out the second half of the Ten Commandments, we already know you've failed at the first half. See, 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So Jesus poses these to him, and the man steps up. He says he's checked every one of those boxes. Now, if this were me, and be glad I'm not Jesus, I would have rolled my eyes. Really, you've never told a lie? You've never talked back to your parents even once? You've never stole your sibling's fun-sized Snickers out of the Halloween stash? Yeah, right. Yet it says in verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him. See, Jesus saw a man that trusted him to an extent, right? Looking to lean on Jesus a little bit. He did ask how to inherit eternal life after all. He desired to be saved, so he knew he needed it. And I'm sure he was pursuing anyway a righteous path of living. And Jesus loved this guy. And out of care and pity, told the man what he needed to have his problem solved. And you know what Jesus did? He called out his idol. Go then, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Rich boy, you think you got treasure? All those possessions you have, your favorite gift from Christmas, drop it off at Goodwill on your way to church Sunday and then come follow me. Treasure me more. And the text says, he went away sad at the word. Love that. Here's a good word. Crestfallen. That's a fun way to say sad and disappointed. Also, band name. I think that would be epic. Crestfallen. Any of you musicians, write that down. So it means he knew Jesus was a good teacher. He knew the Ten Commandments. He even tried to live in submission to them. He even knew he needed to receive an eternal life. Yet the trinkets of this world kept this man in chains and therefore kept him far from Jesus. So you hear the application, right? You can know who Jesus is. You can live a good life. You can even admit you're a sinner, yet still not love Jesus. So you remember Xander here, right? You have to be all in. There is only one throne in your heart. And if Jesus is not on it, something else is. So here's the problem. The young man wanted Jesus plus stuff. He could not let go of what he had. He just wanted to add Jesus into it. But you see, the problem is you can't give up most to follow Jesus. You have to give up everything. This guy already had money. He had his stuff. He was a ruler. He had power and authority. But he lacked Jesus. And he went away miserable for it. God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. That's from Augustine. If there's a Mount Rushmore of like the four most epic church fathers after the apostles, this guy's face is definitely on it. So I'm going to read it again. God is always trying to give good things to us, 
but our hands are too full to receive them. See, Jesus loves us enough to tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And I hope you guys have friends that are willing to do the same for you. Proverbs 27, 6, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. So you see, this rich young ruler showed us, you trust in anything or anyone but Jesus, and it'll leave you crestfallen. Hope you use that today. You're welcome. All right, final portion. Childlike trust, misplaced trust. Then we finally see discipleship is the ultimate trust. Verse 23, the rich man walks away grieving, and then Jesus turns to his disciples saying, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This man's stuff is actually a disadvantage and his burden. How many of you look at the kid in here with a nice car, new phone, and brand new sneakers and say, dude, I'm so sorry, but you got this. Remember, you can do all things through Christ. Yeah. Yet this is what Jesus says to him. Your stuff is killing you. Verse 24, the disciples were astonished. I love that. That happens a lot when you're around Jesus, by the way. You get astonished. So that is not what the disciples expected to hear. Why is that? Well, they probably thought the way we think oftentimes, right? This guy's rich. He's young. He's ruling. That means he's blessed, obviously. Jesus, then seeing the confusion on their faces and their astonishment, continues. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? So a reminder, you hang around Jesus, get astonished. Here's Jesus' main point. Getting into the kingdom of God by your own strength or will, yes, absolutely, impossible. So again, the disciples seem to betray this assumption that this man was blessed by God just because he was rich. And if blessed people can't go to heaven, who in the world's going to heaven? So you see this logic? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. If rich man's means blessed, blessed means saved, then rich means saved. We see this logic in the Gospel of John from these same disciples, just from the inverse side. John 9, 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So they assume, since they saw a blind man on the road, sin must be the root and cause of this situation as, you know, a judgment. But Jesus clears that up real quick, not at all. Someone born with a disability is no more caused by sin than the number next to your iPhone is a holiness rating scale. So never buy into these lies. Money does not equal blessing, and struggle does not equal judgment. So in verse 27, we get the gospel in one verse. What is impossible for man is accomplished by God. And what's the gospel? A perfect God created everything and said it was good, but sin entered the world through man and a separation was set between us and God, a chasm that could not be closed on our side. God himself had to come and restore what we broke and that's what Jesus did on the cross. And now any person is called by God and puts their faith in him fully will become a son or daughter of the Most High and live for all eternity in his presence. That's awesome. So verse 28, 
If you read the Gospels at all, you see Peter's always seems to be, steps up and be the spokesman. Peter steps up and says in verse 28, look, we have left everything and followed you. And to a large degree, he's absolutely right. These men did. In uh, chapter 1 of Mark, you saw immediately they, talking Peter and Andrew, left their nets and followed him. And then in verse 20, two verses later, immediately he called them, talking about James and John, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. You see, the disciples left everything. And every one of them paid a high price for this, both in their lives and in their deaths. Yet, perhaps Peter was a bit unsure of their eternal reward after Jesus has been talking about all this camel through the needle stuff. So here Jesus responds to the disciples with reassurance, a promise from God himself. Promises not just for the 12, but for every person that chooses to follow Jesus fully. So here's our last few verses in 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So remember, Jesus does not promise no sufferings or trials. He promised the reward of eternal life. So this is what the rich young ruler was actually looking for, and yet, when offered, he walked away from it. So you hear the promise. But Jesus puts that last line on there, not letting Peter or the other disciples off the hook. You see, in Peter's question, he's thinking of kind of what he gets out of it. Matthew records more of this conversation. In verse 27, Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Now, you guys have been going through the Gospel of Mark, and you've been seeing Jesus heal. You've been seeing him feed. He's been mentioning his death. He's been calling the disciples to die to themselves, to pick up their cross. Throughout this whole Gospel, he has been trying to teach these disciples Disciples, servant leadership, how to be a servant. And it seems like they just haven't quite got it yet. You know, the first question of the Westminster Catechism, I'm sure you guys have all memorized that by now, opens this way. What is the chief end of man? It's asking you, what is your purpose? And it gives this fabulous answer. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. See, the purpose of your life is not happiness, it's not comfort, riches, kids, fame, scholarship. See, you were created to bring God glory. And no matter what you do, you realize, He will receive it. You see, God will be glorified by you surrendering your life to Him, or He will receive glory by judging those that live a life of rebellion. And for that much, the choice is yours. See, in this passage, we've seen the heart of our God. He's loving. He cares for the least. Those that can offer nothing back to him, he calls to himself. See, he loves us enough to call out idols that enslave us. And he has made promises to his followers, promises that cannot and will not be broken. So in closing here, you saw the children. They ran to Jesus. They trusted Jesus. They only wanted Jesus. 
Jesus. The rich young ruler, hey, he also ran to Jesus, but he wanted Jesus plus his stuff. He was only willing to lean on him so far. The disciples, they truly, they gave up everything. They were leaning all the way. And from Jesus, they were promised a hundred times more than anything they lost. So true discipleship is radical, total trust in Jesus. So pursue Jesus just for him. Pursue Jesus for Jesus. Hold the things of this world with open palms, trusting in your God, the God who gives and who takes away. And know that following Jesus fully brings guarantees and promises from God himself. Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. So what are you afraid to lose in this world? See, God loves his children. God delights in providing for and blessing them. So trust him fully. Be all in. And at this point, who do you think regrets their decisions from this passage? You think the apostles do? Or that rich young ruler? Let's pray. Glorious Father, and we thank you for your word that as we read it and study it and spend time in it, Lord, it's how you reveal yourself to us. You, we see the heart of Jesus, how you love, how you care for. And Lord, every promise you give is set in stone. It will not be returned in void. Lord, who else can we say that about? Certainly nothing in this world. Certainly not the big picture world or the news even those close to us, Lord, we are all broken and all fallen. We are all prone to wander. We all uh, battle sin. So, Lord, help each one of us to keep, to set our eyes on you. So by your Spirit's moving and power, draw us to yourself. In your mercy and in your love, Lord, the things that distract us in this world, the things we grip with our hands, pry them out. Lord, may we desire you above all else. This does not come naturally. So may your spirit have its work. Thank you again for this time. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.